Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Listen in as your host, Jimmy Atkinson, invites industry leaders to share their best OZ insights and investment strategies. From market updates to fund launches, policy news, tax mitigation strategies, and more, we cover it all here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm Jimmy Atkinson, and today... We're discussing the concept of conducting passive real estate investments through Opportunity Zone funds. Joining me on the show today to discuss this topic and more is John Rubino, founder and COO of JID Investments. And John joins us today from Fairfax County, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. John, it's great to meet you. Great to have you here with us today. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking with you and your listeners today. Absolutely, John. Well, let's start really high level. Can you tell us about JID Investments, your investment thesis, why you like real estate, and specifically why passive real estate investment? Yeah, it's a great question. I uh, served 20 years with the Navy. I was a Navy pilot, had a blast, a lot of fun. About halfway through, I started getting into real estate investment with some close friends that I was uh, stationed with at the time. We started getting into uh, looking at different types of real estate back in around 2005, 2006. I actively invested for a few years uh, close to home, where I was stationed at. Did some new construction um, development, new construction uh, home builds, and uh, got the chance to really taste the active side. About 10 years uh, in, I got uh, some orders overseas with my family, and I decided to take uh, that money I earned uh, on some of those investments, as well as that home I lived in at the time, my primary resident. And I decided to invest passively with some of my friends who were starting their business and getting into real estate. So we kind of pulled our money together. I provided some seed capital, and uh, some of my buddies were out there finding condo conversions in DC and new construction and single family renovation. And uh, I started to get these packages, these performas and these offering memorandums. And I started to dig in. I started to really try to understand and see, hey, where's my money going? How does this work? You know, connecting the dots, especially from a real estate investment standpoint. So that's kind of where I got my crash course for about a good seven to 10 years, getting some great returns. And um, when I moved back to Washington, D.C. for my last tour back in 2012, I had this idea of, hey, I was doing this for 10 years and I was having a lot of fun and I was learning a good amount of, uh, of things about real estate. As about maybe I try to make this a business. And so at the time, I connected with my CPA at the time, who's now our CFO, and uh, he and I put the strategy together. We spent the full year building the business with the mindset of, bringing on friends, family, accredited investors, high net worth individuals that wanted to invest through our company and into real estate uh, investments, uh, properties, mixed use, where we did exactly what I was doing, partnering with close friends and family, friends who were developing. And that was the relationship we were going to build on the other side of the business, developers and sponsors, general partners, managing members that needed our capital to help in their capital stack, their equity stack. So that's what we did. We put the business together. We started small. We started doing private money loans, kind of getting our feet wet, showing proof of concept. And then we started getting into the larger check sizes, bringing in anywhere from a million to $5 million as a general equity partner, helping the capital stack and raising that money through at first 20, 30, 50, now 180 investors 
that have been both friends and family, but also organic connections and referrals, public accredited investors, public high net worth individuals that are using self-directed IRAs or trusts, uh, standing up businesses, using deferred gains for opportunity zone. And so over that, you know, say nine years that we've been in business, we've invested on 28 projects to date, a little over $33 million in investment capital. We've gone full cycle on 17 of those. Knock on wood, we've made money on every one. And um, right now we have 11 fantastic deals that uh, are primarily non-opportunity zone, but we're starting to get into OZs. We got into our first OZ back in 2020. We raised uh, a little over a quarter of a million dollars into an opportunity zone fund. We stood up in Washington, D.C. to partner up with one of our sponsors. And we were able to raise gains through that vehicle. And then we just recently raised about a million dollars uh, for a, a deal in Ohio, small multifamily deal where we brought in about a million dollars of uh, accredited investor 506C money. And uh, we're looking at some other great projects. And so we're excited to be in the OZ world because it gives our investors more diversification. It gives them more options when it comes to uh, the type of assets they can, asset classes they can invest into. So it's been a great business, learning a ton, having fun, doing exactly what I want to do. And um, yeah, every day I wake up, I just have a smile on my face and this is the best thing I could have ever done after the Navy. No, that's great. That's a great story. Uh, congrats on your success so far. Have you found that being able to offer opportunity zone investments to your network of accredited investors has been a differentiator for you? Has it helped you attract more investors? Yeah, it, it does, Jimmy. That's a great question because um, now, you know, you have opportunity zone investors that are interested in opportunity zone passive real estate investment opportunities we can bring forward. But then we could also show them, hey, by the way, here's some of the other things we're doing if you have interest. And if they do, then they can come in and, and be part of, let's say, a non-opportunity zone deal, as well as get the opportunity to come into an opportunity zone deal that we bring forward from one of our sponsor partners. Uh, a lot of our investors uh, who are in on non-opportunity zone investments who liquidate, then all of a sudden have a gain. And guess what? If we have an opportunity zone investment, they have the opportunity to take some of those gains or all the gains and bring them into one of our projects if they want to invest. So it's, it's pretty exciting. And so tell me, let, let, let's back up a little more. I want to hear more about oh. uh, JID investments. You say it's passive real estate investing. Is it? I, I understand it's passive for your investors. I think they're just simply writing you a check. Is that right? And then you're going to deploy that capital, putting it to work for them, uh, partnering with different operators who are actually developing the properties. But are, are you guys developing properties too? Are you, John, actively involved? Or are you also kind of, is the firm itself passively investing in, in these other operators? The firm is passively investing in operators are out actively managing, operating, overseeing the properties. However, we are very much connected into that process. We're on the phone with them every day. We're looking at the deals. We're passing emails to make sure we get the updates we need to then pass on to the investors who are investing on those specific opportunities. What's unique about us is we're set up where every project we bring forward is set up as a separate business, a single purpose vehicle where investors have the opportunity to invest on a specific deal. We're not taking, well, let's say $100,000 per investor and farming it out among different opportunities under an umbrella fund. Um, the most we've done before under one private placement is two properties, but those two properties are with the same sponsor, maybe in the same jurisdictional geographical location or same asset classes. 
but typically we're bringing in money. The investors know where their money's going. They know what deal they're in. They get a nice uh, portfolio overview on our Juniper Square portal where they can log in and see each investment they have, how much they've invested, what's the projections on earnings, what's the IRRs, what's the timeline, where's my tax documents that JID does because my CFO is an enrolled agent. So he does all their taxes. So everything is, is hung on that Juniper Square portal. And so when someone says, you know, hey, JID is raising X amount of dollars, I'm coming in for this portion of that um, piece. I'm a percentage owner. This is the percent of capital I'm bringing in. That's where my money's going on that deal. And that's the deal that we're overseeing for them, along with our other projects that similar investors, either that same group of investors or another group within the 180 revolve. Very good. Uh, that's that's always helpful to partner with somebody like Juniper Square to get all that stuff in one location. Juniper Square, very well regarded. Absolutely, um, we love it. Of course. What, uh, what was it about Opportunity Zones that got you interested in looking at them as an investment option for your investors a couple of years back when you when you first started getting interested in them? Well, again, I mean, we, we uh, as an Opportunity Zone investment and being part of what we're doing now and offering that, it just offers more diversification from an investment standpoint that allows investors to continue to work with us and see that we can uh, have that capital available to bring into those types of deals. So that's one big thing is diversification of investment. The second is, obviously, we're, we're helping the communities, we're regentrifying the communities, we're helping much needed areas of lower income and affordable housing to grow and, and give back to the community, which is always important with whatever you do. Um, and the fact that it's you know something that um, is intriguing and it's something that uh, you know can shelter taxes and help you know those gains over that period of time where you get the full force of that investment capital for X amount of years, typically four years now, without having to pay any gains on that. And have it deferred, so you get that full power of that of that investment dollar. You get those wonderful tax incentives and program benefits. And um, again, we have investors that love it. They they see the fact that hey, I could protect these tax deferred gains for X amount of years, and and I'm willing to stand for that ten years to get those benefits on the back end as well. Yeah, the tax and <laughs> the tax advantages, as I've talked about. Um ad nauseum on this podcast over the past several years are unbelievably powerful. Uh, kind of, kind of hard to ignore those. You mentioned diversification Absolutely. a minute ago. What did you mean by that? You're talking about um, taking gains from other asset classes and putting them into real estate or, or explain what you meant by that. Yeah. So let's say for instance, uh, we go full cycle on a non-opportunity zone investment and our investor bring in X amount of dollars and they make, uh, you know, X amount return. Well, they can come out of that investment that's now liquidated, either through a refinance, a sale, but we're now full cycle and closed on that deal. Well, the investors are going to have a gain and they can use that gain if we have an opportunity zone that's coming in to then take a portion of that gain or that entire gain and invest with us on an opportunity zone investment. So it's nice in a way because they're making their non-OZ gain profit and then taking the non-OZ asset class full cycle deal that completes and then can utilize the gain they earn to come in on another project that's under the opportunity zone problem. Got it. And where are your investors' gains coming from typically? Are they are they usually from non-OZ real estate sales or are they from stocks or business or what, yeah, what do you so think? 
on, on an investment, when we liquidate, whether it's uh, the, the deal goes full cycle, obviously we were good, we would get paid out on a distribution schedule and waterfall as per operating agreement with the sponsor. So as that comes through, that becomes over a year a capital gain. So we get to ca- claim that as a capital gain on that project as a LP or co-GP series owner. And then those gains would then be available to utilize if we have an opportunity zone project or the investors would just have to file that under their tax return as a gain for that tax year if they don't. So that's one way that uh, we can utilize some of the profits from non-OZ type investments to come in on opportunities on investments if we have one available and we're investing. Other ways would be, you know, obviously liquidating a business, liquidating a stock, liquidating investment property, anything that would show and realize a short-term or long-term capital gain could then be utilized to invest uh, under one of our projects if they're available. Well, let's change subjects a little bit here. I want to talk specifically about the types of Opportunity Zone projects that you are investing in uh, through your investors at JID Investments. What is your Opportunity Zone pipeline look like? What kind of projects are you actively participating in, in terms of opportunity zone investments? Sure. So we stick to the same model for both non-OZ and OZ when it comes to sponsors, making sure they have the track record. You know, I'm not going to invest with a non-OZ sponsor, uh, in a non-OZ sponsor that brings me an OZ deal. So yeah, I'm going to try this OZ for the first time. looks pretty cool. No, not so much. We're going to want to make sure they have the experience, the track record, they understand the law, they got the QASB set up properly, that the attorneys on board understand everything. So that's very important. And just like a non-OZ deal, we're looking for experience. The second is location. I live here in Washington, D.C. I have three fantastic markets, Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland. There's a lot of opportunity here. So we have three amazing markets that open you know, really a multitude of different types of opportunities on projects. Um, and then also we're in the Southeast. We're up in Ohio because these are areas that are growing. These are areas that have population growth and they have areas that are regentrifying significantly. When we do our due diligence, we see that. Um, and then obviously the, the type of returns we can get. You know, we, we are a, a company that really likes development of land for uh, build, usually new construction, multifamily. And so we still like to look for those types of deals, even if it's an opportunity zone, because we may be able to get higher yields on those returns, given the level of risk we're involved in. And we also get the benefits of the opportunity zone program. So that's kind of what we're looking at. We're pure, we, we don't purely focus on just development, but the development and the vertical new construction is where we're seeing the higher yields, which our investors like. So that's why we target those. Yeah. Would you mind sharing uh, with us if you're able to specifically uh, the projects that are available for investment right now? Yeah, I can give you the locations. I mean, we're doing uh, one project where we uh, invested as a, in an opportunity zone fund that we stood up to invest into a Quasby in Southeast Washington, D.C., a uh, parcel of land there in Southeast that's uh, set up for a commercial lease. And um, it's a uh, going to probably ribbon cut this year. So we're pretty excited. And then I'll get started with uh, with the tenant in place uh, and some cash flow, which again, you can take advantage of through an opportunity zone through the, the bonus depreciation program, which is great. Um, we also have, were involved in that one in 2020 and 2021. So we still got some of those tax incentives to reduce that uh, deferred gain basis, which is wonderful. Um, we have a second project up in uh, Ohio in Columbus. We raised about a million dollars for a small 
multifamily property, probably about 42 to 45 multifamily uh, apartments. Again, brand new construction, uh, development, new construction. We'll have we'll probably have rents starting in the next two years after about 90% stabilization. And so we'll get some rents out of that. We'll get some nice income. We've negotiated some very nice prefs to make sure that, again, we're protected. Because, you know, as a as a passive investment company where you're coming in under a non-collateralized, um, you know, we don't have any you know, collateralized right, rights, uh, the risk really is our money. So that's where we try our best to make sure we position ourselves and our investors to, uh, to get, you know, a nice healthy pref that we get uh, our money back and that even though we're kind of lower in the batting order and we're the smallest chunk of money, we still have some protection. Gotcha. Uh, you're just perusing some of the projects that you have listed on your website. It seems like you have a lot of, like you mentioned in Columbus, you multifamily, but also you do a little bit of student housing, mm -hmm. senior living. What do you like about those high density residential property types? W what is it about the the economics or the, or the trends that you like there in terms of multifamily development? Yeah, you and I spoke about this a little bit before. Um, you know, we see there's a, a large need for housing and, and it's not going to go, it's not going to close anytime soon um, with interest rates where they are and, and the demand for housing and the need for housing as populations are growing, especially in the markets we're looking at. It's getting harder and harder to buy something. You know, this generation that we have now, the, the, the millennial generation is now the largest generation in our country. And um, nothing against them, but a lot of them, you know, have debt. A lot of them don't come to the table with equity. So it's difficult at times to bring in 20, 30% to put down. And oh, by the way, I have to get a 6% loan. It's not 2.5% or 3% anymore. So that's a challenge. So what is that doing? Well, that's turning people now into the rental market. So now what's happening to rents? Well, I'm seeing rents in our markets grow double digits, 30, 40, 50% year over year. So what does that do? That then causes appreciation. It causes, you know, um, price rises in the, uh, the rental markets. So, you know, to put housing in an area to get a great property, the good entry baseline cost, um, there's definitely ways to make money. And, and that's what we're doing. We're finding really good opportunities, good land to develop on. Uh, our sponsors know that the market uh, permitting process, the design process, and um, we're coming to market with great product. And, um, you know, it's just, it, that's the type of projects we're going after and we're finding and we're having a lot of success. No, that's great. Uh, I've long been a fan of multifamily as a property type for investing. I think it's a, a fantastic property type and it's the most popular type of property for qualified opportunity fund investing. That should come as no surprise to my longtime listeners and viewers. Okay, John, so you mentioned two locations. Uh, that was the one in Columbus, Ohio, multifamily. Uh, the one in DC though, I understand is not multifamily. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing in DC? We have, yeah, it's a, it's a uh, development. It's a development project that uh, we came in on and it's a small, it, we were a smaller piece of that, but it's going to be developed into a larger, um, a larger type structure there. They have a large uh, piece of or parcels of land there. And so we're involved more on the land development side, but we're starting to see that area start to grow. And uh, we came in as a non-opportunity zone investment uh, capital, but you know we're starting to um, you know see that uh, possibly come into to growth there, and we'll be part of it. And it's exciting; it really is. You know, you mentioned um, rent rate increases twenty, thirty percent 
in some cases year over year, just unbelievable uh, rent trends, right? Do you think those trends are sustainable, especially in in light of the economic turbulence that we're currently uh, going through? What, what do you think in terms of the long-term demand for housing and and how rent might continue to grow or, or maybe it'll, it'll uh, stagnate here a little bit? What are your thoughts? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I think that it's um, it's not going to come down anytime soon until we start catching up with some supply. And so I think that's where you're seeing things like I know here in Washington where, you know, hotels and commercial space is being converted to multifamily because there's just such a need. And um, I think that we're going to continue to see that struggle with uh, with supply constraints. So until we can get back on track to have availability and housing, you're going to continue to see the demand for uh, multifamily, uh, multifamily rental, multifamily uh, lease to continue to go up. I, I don't know if I would say in the next year to two years, uh, if um, new starts catch up and we can start seeing some stuff on the horizon. Yeah. But I think the, the more expensive markets like the um, like New York City, DC, you know, people are getting priced out because of those higher you know rents. So they're going off to a Columbus or they're going to a tertiary market where they can find more affordable and still have that work, you know, work, uh, play work, joy, have fun type of atmosphere and environment. Atlanta, another market we love. We're down in Atlanta. Why? Because People enjoy it down there. It's great weather. It's good quality of life. So I think it's going to be a challenge for a while um, until we can catch up with closing the gap a bit on supply. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a huge supply and demand mismatch. Uh, we're woefully undersupplied in almost every city uh, all across the country here. A huge housing shortage of uh, 5 million units, 5.5 million units by some counts, what I've read recently. And yeah, until we address that, I think uh, you're absolutely right, John. I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be hard for um, hard for that asset class to to fall off. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about other challenges that you're facing? Um, are there any challenges lingering from COVID, for instance, or any other OZ related challenges that that uh, you find uh, worth worth discussing here? Yeah, I think uh, COVID definitely, you know, we saw it coming and Mm. everybody, you know, we were in in the middle of a couple of uh, multifamily value add deals that we tried and, and, um, you know, it was just difficult. It was challenging with the fact that, you know, very similar to 08, you know, debt lenders were walking away. Um, They were changing the uh, the structure on on loans, the capital stacks percentages were changing. So uh, a lot of our projects were put on hold for a while because we we just couldn't get the financing. We couldn't get the construction loans that we already were approved for, but all of a sudden now it's changing. Now we, we don't have those construction loans anymore because, you know, the debt lenders are walking away. So we had, a, we had to sit on the bench for, for about a year to year and a half on a few of our projects. But uh, fortunately, with the appreciation, with the fact that, um, you know, we weren't upside down, we had good numbers going in, we still did very well. And when we were able to start bringing in more stabilized debt as the market starts to get through COVID, we're still doing very well. I mean, you know, I'd say we try to always underwrite a home run. Maybe we're hitting a double on those projects, which is still very good. People aren't losing money and they were making money and they were happy. Um, Going forward, um, I think the biggest challenge we're going to see is continued inflation, continued supply chain challenges. We've had a project that, uh, down in North Carolina, we just saw, uh, you know, the budget went up $12 million on the construction budget. 
because prices are going up. You know, a lot of contractors are are reluctant now to do the um, the guaranteed minimum price pro- uh, contracts at GMP. So, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a challenge for a bit. But again, I've always said that if you go in and underwrite a deal very conservatively on the front end, and you can find the land, and you got a, a quality partner. You know, you can still underwrite the numbers you need. Our investors are making, you know, on a on a non-OZ deal around twelve percent a year pref. That's fantastic, you know, and they're making a fifteen to twenty percent return on splits on our development and new construction deals. You know, they they like those higher yields. So in turn, we have to make sure we find those projects that can really get those types of returns or better. And typically, it's better. So we're we're doing well there, and um, not going to change anything. You know, I'm not going to try to cut things here and do stuff there. We're, we're going to want to see a 6%, 6.5% interest rate. We're going to want to see 10 to 15 to 20% contingency line items, just so that we feel comfortable that, all right, we're being ultra conservative because, you know, we have to be. Yeah. Lots changed in those underwriting assumptions over the last uh, 12 to 24 months, right? With, uh, yes, sir. <laughs> with, with COVID and with the recession and inflation and Rising interest rates, a uh, lot, lot has changed there with underwriting for sure. Have you, have you found any um, asset classes changing more than than others in terms of your uh, underlying underwriting assumptions that you've had to make? You know, again, um, like we said, Jimmy, I, I think we we focus on the developer. We we focus on their uh, track record, and um, it just so happens that multifamily is is where it's at, and that's where we're finding a lot of uh, the partners and the sponsors we work with. And um, it's not that we're not opposed to looking at industrial or looking at uh, RV parks. That's great too, but it's just that most of the folks we find that are doing really well are in multifamily housing right now, student housing, senior living. Um, and, and to be honest with you, those are the types of projects we like. You know, we're getting into a type of strategy now where we come in in a development phase. We may come in on a construction phase of equity. And then liquidation could be multiple options. We could come out and get our returns on the development and, and vertical stage. We could stay in with maybe just our profits on those stages and then take the original investment out to let the profit stay in for cash flow. That's really exciting. Um, there's recapitalization, there's buyouts. So we have a lot of different options now, but I think what we're trying to do is, hey, how, how long can we get that fruit to stay on the tree before we have to pull it off and take a bite? And it's working out really well. And we, and we like those types of strategies. You know, a couple of interesting points you made there I'd like to pull out. One is, you know, you mentioned it's all about partnering with the right people. You want to make sure you are with an operator that you can trust, that you've been with a developer who has been there and done that, who has done OZ deals, who has a track record. I think that's hugely important. That might be, uh, boy, after picking the asset class itself, I mean, picking the operator to partner with might be the the most important part of the entire deal. Uh, And then, yeah. And and then secondly, you know, you mentioned uh, that you want to stay in these deals as long as possible. Sometimes some pushback I get from some potential investors is they say, geez, 10 years, that's a long time. And it can be right. I mean, oftentimes, you know, you don't want to be in a real estate deal that long, or particularly if you're, you know, a small business investor or a venture capital investor, you're not used to staying in investments for that long. But with the Opportunity Zone program, I kind of like to consider it almost like a super Roth IRA. You shouldn't be asking, how soon can can I get out? You should be asking, how long can I stay in? How long can I get this thing to eat for uh, tax-free 
for as long as you can. I think I think uh, you have until 2048, if I'm remembering the the regs correctly, is currently That's correct. the, uh, yep, the end date so. there. Um, yeah, and we and we actually have some older investors that are in their 60s and 70s, and and a lot of them are like, well, you know, 10 years is is a long time, and we say you're right, and and um, it is a long time, but you got grandkids, right? You got kids that you know could could utilize these funds as a beneficiary, and um, it's great to be able to pass that down in your estate to have that money available to your family for the grandkids, for, you know, a, a child that wants to go back and get a, a, an advanced degree or a PhD, you know, it's nice having that down the road as an extra kick so that, you know, you may not be able to enjoy it, but you can at least pass it on to your, you know, as generational wealth, let's call it. Absolutely. Yeah. Always be thinking long-term. Uh, and again, it requires patient capital. This investment structure, I like to say it's, it, it's amazing and it's an incredible tax benefit and incredible opportunity to do some impact investing in areas that are typically underinvested in. But that said, it's not for everyone necessarily. And you do need to you know, be aware of the fact that you're going to get your capital locked up for, for quite a while, uh, at least 10 years. And, and maybe you want it locked up for longer, as I was hinting at. Um, That's right. But it, John, it, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank uh, you. If, if any of our listeners or viewers out there like what you had to say, they want to get in touch with you and learn a, a little bit more about JID Investments, where can they go? How can they learn more about you? Yeah. And again, I would love for you to share the info on us. Uh, our website is uh, JIDinvestments.com. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook and all the social media handles. And please feel free to pass on my contact information if anyone has any questions um, and, uh, anything in particular that they want to find out about more, like what's this passive real estate investment stuff you're talking about, or how are you doing that with OZs? I'm happy to help. And, and we, we like to do a lot of uh, educational type webinars and seminars too. We're actually doing one in about two to three weeks on self-directed IRAs because a lot of our investors enjoy using self-directed IRAs and it's a great tool, but, um, there's other things you can utilize it for too. So we want to make that an opportunity for education maybe learn a little bit about us, but at the same time, take away, oh, wow, that was really cool. I didn't know I could do that. Uh, that sounds great, John. Yeah. Uh, I'll be sure to link to your website, jidinvestments.com from our website. Uh, as always, we will have show notes available for today's episode at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. We'll link to John's website, his firm's website, and we'll also have links to all of the other resources that John and I discussed on today's show. And also please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, or your favorite podcast listening platform to make sure that you always get the latest episodes. John, again, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jimmy. It was great. Appreciate it. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you like this episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. You can access our show notes by visiting opportunitydb.com forward slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. 